Actually, I do need to correct that. I think you are starting a new series, but not with me, so it's not today, but, uh, and I apologize for that if I didn't get the memo, but that wouldn't be the first time. Anyway, so great to be with you today. My wife and I love to be able to, any chance we get, to be able to hang out with you guys. It's such a delight to see what God is doing in this congregation, and the 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 atmosphere of devotion to Jesus. It's one thing to have an atmosphere of excitement. I didn't say that. It is exciting to be with you. But there's an atmosphere of devotion to Jesus that we sense here. And we, anytime we can be in that atmosphere, we're there. So great to be with you today. Um, I, Robert asked me how he should introduce me today. I said, well, just tell him my name. I, and the re only reason I said that, because that's not really all that important either, really. We're, we're not here about me. We're here about the Word of God. But the only reason I, I said, tell, tell him my name, Randy Bolt, in case you missed it, is because, not that that's important, it will be part of a story I'm going to tell. So I want to make sure you, you had that. That's all I was asking for. He did way more than that. And uh, it is a little uncomfortable when you have to sit there and listen to somebody say nice things about you. But thank you, Robert. That was very kind of you. I'd like you to open your Bibles or get it turned on if you're using an app on your phone or something like that. And let's turn to John chapter 11. The Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. So if you have an analog Bible like mine, that'll help you get there. If you're using an app on your phone, you have no problem at all to find uh, John. Now we're going to pre, pre um, excuse me we're going to be presenting the scriptures as we go through them on the screens uh so that's a you know uh, an easy way for you to follow along but I just want to say if you have gotten out of the habit of having your own bible in front of you return to that habit if you don't own a bible get one if you have a phone you can have a free Bible and just about any translation you want use the Bible app get that Because uh, these screens don't follow you around through the day, right? <laughs> and uh, when you're in in, uh, in the situations and circumstances of your life you want to be able to know how to navigate this Because we need God to speak to us and how many of you would say amen to that? Yeah, all right now this morning we're gonna uh, as I said, be in the Gospel of John in chapter 11, and we're going to make our way from verses, verse 45 through, verse, through the end of the chapter, verse 57. We're going to unpack this passage of Scripture together, and I'm going to tell two stories, and then we're going to be out of here. But this is going to focus on the subject of signs, and signs, uh, when I use that term, I don't mean, you know, I, I don't mean the directional signs that got you here this morning when you got off the freeway or came down the street and saw the, the, the really fine feather signs they call those banner kind of things that hang out there and all. I, I don't mean that, and you know I don't. I'm talking about God's miraculous displays of his power. And we have a God who does that and wants to do that. I'll say more about that in a minute. But God's displays of a, his miraculous power kind of fall into two categories. One is just because he loves people. He responds to need with healings, with provision, with comfort, 
in, in so many wonderful ways that are beyond the natural order of things. Have you ever been on the receiving end of one of those? Just the kindness of God doing something miraculous for you? But there's another category of God's signs, his miraculous displays of power, that are kind of like those directional signs out there on the street that got you in here today, where they point towards his will. Where God gives us a sign to confirm what he wants us to do or how he wants us to approach something, or what he's thinking and uh, what he's desiring for any given situation. That's the side of the equation I'd like to kind of focus on today, although we're going to be talking about the whole subject a, a little bit of signs, but mostly about those signs that God uses to direct us. Now, how many of you, by a raising of your hand, would say, at some point in my life, there's been a point, a time when I've cried out to God, give me a sign. Okay, look around. Just about every single person, right? And the rest of you are lying. So (laughs) we've all been there. Even when we didn't know the Lord, right? We said, God, give me a sign. We want, there's a a basic place in our souls, I believe, where we want to be in alignment with our maker. We want to be aligned with his desires and plans. Even when we haven't crossed the threshold from doubt into faith yet, we still, there's something in us that wants to be aligned with God. And so we desire for the Lord to speak to us. Plus, we don't, uh, we don't like to rely on our own stupidity most of the times, too, so... And so I want to talk about that today. And we're going to, as I said, start at John chapter 11, verse 45, and we'll make our way through the passage a little at a time, so don't lose patience with me if we kind of meander here a little bit. Verse 45, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. And let's just pull off the road for a minute and and, and uh, talk about this one verse and what it implies before we move on. And we will finish this uh, passage. And don't panic. We're not going to take as long on the rest of the passage as we are on this first verse. We're told here that there were people who had come to be with Mary. Also, although she's not mentioned here, it implies that they were there to me, uh, to be with Mary and Martha. They were sisters, and as some of you would remember, they had a brother named Lazarus. Jesus was really close to these three siblings. We don't know the backstory and how they became so close, but we are told that they were de- deeply, or um, uh, deep friends, close friends. And Lazarus became uh, seriously ill on the threshold of death itself, and Word reached Jesus from, his, from Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, that his friend was dying. And they were, uh, it's implied, they were expecting him to come quickly to be with his friend, Lazarus. Well, you know the story. He didn't. He actually remained where he was for three more days. And then he went. But by the time he got there, Lazarus has already died and been uh, in the tomb four days. So this, that's what it's referring to when it says many of the Jews had come to Mary. They came to bring their casseroles and their, their um, you know, uh, cards of, of uh, comfort uh, because they're grieving. They've come to be with Mary and Martha in their grief. 
But it says they saw the things that Jesus did. Well, of course, Jesus did lots of miraculous signs, but it's specifically referring here to the big one they just saw. These people came to be with Mary and Martha in their grief, but they saw a man brought back to life who had been dead four days. That's dead. That doesn't happen every day of the week. When was the last time you saw somebody who was dead four days get out of the grave? Well, these people saw that. And it says they believed. And if you want to just say, well, duh. Right? I want you to see that there's a relationship here between signs and faith. There's a balance, though, between signs and faith that we're going to talk about, too. Because a lot of us have the idea that, well, if God would just show himself, if God would just display his power, then I would believe, or my friends would believe, or I'd be more sure of my faith. Hold on to that thought, because I'm not sure that's really true. But in this case, we do see that there's a connection between faith and signs. Now we have a God, let me just say this up front without going through all the scripture background for this. We have a God who loves to display his power. When you come to him and you're in need, you are not twisting his arm to try to get him to do something he doesn't already want to do, something he's not already inclined to do. From page one to page, I don't know what it is at the end of Revelation, the Bible tells us we have a God who loves to display his power on behalf of his people. So God is willing, he is willing to display his power. Now the Gospel of John, John has a particular viewpoint and particular perspective through which he is trying to tell the story of Jesus' life in his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And for his purposes, he chose seven of, of Jesus' miracles to, uh, to describe, only seven. There are multitudes of, of many others, or, uh, multitudes of miracles that Jesus performed. In fact, the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record many of those. But John only records seven of them because of his unique purpose. Still, it's an impressive list. Listen to this. He turned water into wine at a wedding, healed a royal official's son in Capernaum, healed an invalid at the pool of Bethesda, fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, walked on water during a storm on the Sea of Galilee, healed a blind man in Jerusalem, and then raised Lazarus from the dead. Come on, somebody ought to say something right there. Just, just, uh, just a sample of seven of Jesus' miracles. Powerful displays of God's power. But as much as God wants to display his power, as much as God wants to reveal signs of his dominion and sovereignty and lordship among us, there's something he wants more. Relationship with you. In fact, if you, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 6 says this. It says, it's impossible to please God. And if God's ultimate desire is relationship with us, then that's what we're talking about. 
To please God means that we are in relationship. That's what gives him pleasure, is relationship with us. You can see that on any page you turn to in the Bible that we have a God who wants relationship with us. The thing that pleases him is relationship with us. And Hebrews eleven six says that it's impossible, not unlikely, not challenging, not difficult, it's impossible to please God without faith. So, so we're told that faith is the key to relationship with God, not miracles. There is a relationship between the miraculous displays of God's power and our faith, but the faith that creates or is the basis for the relationship is what's more important. Now, my wife and I will be, in two months, we'll be celebrating our 49th wedding anniversary. That's hard to believe, but uh, because it's been such a splendid, such a wonderful, delightful 49 years, it's gone like that. But the reason that we have the kind of depth in our relationship is because of trust. That's another word for faith. With, that's why faith is at the core of God's desire for us, which is relationship. Without faith, without trust, there is no depth of relationship. And you know that from any, any friendship or relationship that you have. If you can't trust the person, you don't really have a relationship. So God is after faith that builds deep relationship with him, and that faith has a connection to signs, but they're not exactly one and the same. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. For this reason, we cannot allow, and God doesn't, God won't, just warning you, to have signs be a substitute for faith. See, here's what we want, okay? We come to God and we say, all right, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. If you just part the heavens and talk to me, tell me what to do. Give me a sign. If, you, if he will answer that prayer, God, give me a sign. What we want is that the sign is so profound, so powerful, so uh, indisputable that we don't actually have to exercise any, you know, faith we want God to be so such uh, so demonstrative of this displays of power that we don't have to trust him when you think about it that's what most of us do when we pray those kinds of prayers God show me a sign what we're asking is Lord make your will so clear that I don't have to exercise any trust. But without the exercise of our trust, without the faith that we have to exercise in those occasions, we're not building relationship with Jesus. Now, you did not hear me say that we don't have a God who wants to work signs and wonders. You actually heard me say the opposite. But I want you to make sure that you're understanding and tracking with me that it's the faith. That's the key. Now let me tell you a story. I told you I'd tell you two. This is the first of those stories. 
because signs are almost always confirmation of faith, not the reason for it. Let me say that again. Miraculous signs, when God uh, displays his power in miraculous ways, it's most often to confirm the exercise of faith that we have trusted the Lord than it is that he has provided us the basis for our faith. Do you understand? Wave at me if you get that. Not sure what to do about the rest of you. I, I, all right. So that's what I, I in fact, let me, let me uh, take it one step further to illustrate this before I tell you the story that I told you I would tell. So even, how many have been around uh, church long enough to have heard this phrase, I'm going to put out a fleece before God? How many of you have heard that before? Okay. Some of us are old enough, and we've been around long enough, we heard this. So this is a, a common kind of Christianese sort of thing. And what it's referring to is this guy named Gideon back in the Old Testament of the Bible who God calls to help or to lead his people against a, a mighty uh, army of people who are called the Midianites who have the Israelis under their thumb. And uh, Gideon uh, is on the verge, he's at the threshold of the battle that God has called him to lead the Israelite, Israelite troops against the Midianites. And he says, God, I just want to make sure you're still with me. Here's a lamb's fleece, you know, the wool. I'm going to lay it out on the ground here. In the morning, let the, let the fleece be wet and the ground around it dry from the dew. Okay, the ground will be dry, fleece is wet. And that happens. But even that wasn't enough. And he says, okay, God, indulge me one more time. Tomorrow morning, let's reverse it. Ground wet, fleece dry. God does that. So sometimes when people were talking about this kind of thing, show me a sign, they'll say, I'm going to lay a fleece out before God. Like, Lord, if you want me to take this job offer, then, then make that clear by them offering me X number of dollars, something like that, a fleece. Then I'll know I'm supposed to take this job, right? We want it, as I said before, to be so clear that we don't have to exercise any faith. But I want to say to you that most of the time, even in Scripture, even in Gideon's account, Gideon's faith that allowed him to lead the armies of Israel against the Midianites was not on the basis of that fleece. He was already all in. He'd already prepared a sacrifice for the, the angel of the Lord that was so costly most of us can't even imagine. The people of Israel were starving under the thumb of the Midianites and Gideon prepares this feast. I don't even know how he was able to pull together. He, the, the angel of the Lord found him in a hole trying to thresh out a little wheat just so he wouldn't starve, but he's already made this costly sacrifice. There's no going back. On top of that, he, are, he has already destroyed the idols and the symbols of idol worship in his community, got the whole town upset with him. He's already uh, begun to amass the army. He's going to lead against the Midianites. So this guy has already expressed his faith. He's already trusted God. And so the fleece was just 
a confirmation of the faith that he'd already exercised, not the reason for it. Now I'll tell you my story. So this was 20, uh, 2006, and my wife and I had been pastoring in the, we spent 40 years as pastors up in the San Francisco Bay Area. We had been, we'd started a church, we, we pastored four churches altogether, started two and restarted two. We were pastoring a church that we started in San Jose and felt like the Lord wanted us to, um, that he had something new for us. And so we resigned from the church that we'd started and loved pastoring to prepare for whatever it was the Lord had in mind for us. We didn't know what it was, but we were invited after having resigned from the church in San Jose to consider restarting a church in the North San Francisco Bay in a town called Vallejo, where a church had been in existence four years, the founding pastor had an affair and wiped out, and the church was, he blew up the church. There was a handful of people left, about 12 adults. And our denomination asked us if we would consider to, uh, going there to restart that church. And first, we didn't want to do that, but we felt like the Lord was in it, and so we said yes. But that was going to mean that we had to relocate. It was about 60 miles north of where we were living in San Jose, and that meant we'd need to sell our home and buy a new one. We loved our little house in San Jose. When I say little, I mean, it wasn't, you know, a, it wasn't a shoebox, but it wasn't a mansion either. It was 1,350 square feet, 1,350 square feet. It was great for us and our kids, but they're gone now. There's just the two of us. They've got their own families, and we're going to relocate. I told Sue, I said, honey, let's downsize. I want something smaller. I don't want a lawn I have to take care of anymore. I, you know, let's get a townhome, condo, something like that. So we looked, and that's what we looked for. Couldn't find anything that seemed to fit the bill. We were a little frustrated by that, but there were two uh, real estate agents in, left in the little church that we were assuming the pastor of there in um, Vallejo that said, hey, let's, would you go with us? We're gonna sh we'd like to show you this new development on an island in the San Francisco, north, north part of the San Francisco Bay uh, called Mare Island, where it, it was a decommissioned uh, naval shipyard that has been given to the city of Vallejo to manage, and they're developing uh, new homes there. So we said, well, okay, we'll go, we'll go see. These these homes were twice the size of our little house in San Jose and they were under construction well actually there was one left and they couldn't move on to the next subdivision until they sold that last home it was still under construction and they were selling us hard man they were after us like nobody's business because they wanted to get on to the next uh, you know development or the next part of their development and I'm like there's no way, no way, I'm not doing this. But I could see my wife was falling in love. And I like, oh, come on. So I did everything I could to stamp my feet and say, no, we're not doing this. And we finally escaped there and got, got, got away from those salespeople. But I love my wife, right? So I, I said, well, we'll pray about it. But we've already told them no and uh, they, there's no expectation on their part that we're gonna, but they kept calling us and, and they kept uh, making the deal sweeter so that we'd have more equity in the house. And I'm praying, I'm praying one of those prayers. I, and I prayed it exactly word for word, God give me a sign. 
God, give me a sign. If you've ever bought a house, you know it's one of the most stressful things in the world. We still had to sell the one that we were living in. It's so much money, and it's so, you know, it's just like overwhelming. I would, I was, I was sick. I was sick. And I, I'd literally get on the floor and cry out to God, God, you've got to give me a sign. Crickets. Nothing. Finally, after several days, a week, or I don't know how long it was, I, uh, not more than two weeks, right? I just, I said to Sue, I said, Sue, we have prayed our hearts out. We believe that there's a God in heaven who's heard us. I don't know why he's not answering me, but let's trust him. This is something you, are, you feel like we ought to do. I am willing to trust God that he's heard us. We've asked him to show us what to do. I got on the phone, I called those people, and I said, okay. And so we start, we signed the papers and here we go, right? And it was still this thing of like, I don't, did we do the right thing? Anyway, I had to go up to Vallejo to do some church business and stuff because, you know, I was still, I was commuting now to, to pastor this church from, from San Jose up to 60 miles to Vallejo. I went up there one day and I thought, well, while I'm here, I'm going to go visit this house we just bought. We'd only been there twice, and both times it was under construction. It was still under construction, but almost done by the, by the point I'm, I'm about to tell you. But the two previous times we'd gone there to visit, the, the, uh, there are two uh, bridges onto the island, and we'd always gone one way. So both times we'd been there, we went one way over this one bridge. I'm coming from the... Uh, the church work I had to do in Vallejo and I decided I'm gonna go visit the house we just bought and I decided I'd take the other bridge so I'm getting on the bridge and I noticed one of those green California highway signs you know that that has the name for the highway or the bridge or whatever so the name of the bridge is right there this is what I saw that's my name the Randy Bolt Memorial Highway, that's the bridge there in the background. That's, that road leads to my house. My first thought was, God, you couldn't have showed me that a week ago? But see, that would have been no, I, there would be no requirement for faith. God is more interested in relationship with me, and that requires faith. But he's not disinterested in me and, and satisfying that uncertainty in my heart. And so as confirmation of the faith that I had exercised, he gave me a literal sign. <clears throat> Yeah, amen. Who gets that? Let's carry on as, uh, from uh, verse 46 in John chapter 11 because there's, this passage tells us more. But some of them, some of these people, remember there's all these people that have come to be with Mary and Martha in their grief. They'd all seen Lazarus raised from the dead. 
And some of them were told, believed. Now verse 46. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. The Pharisees have already staked out the position that Jesus should die. They are so upset with him and so frustrated with the, what he's going to do to upset their apple cart in terms of their relationship with authority, with Rome and all of that. He was a threat to their positions as leaders in Israel. They've already decided he's going to die. He's got to die. So when these people brought the news to the Pharisees that Jesus has raised a man from the dead, they were joining in the Pharisees' unbelief. Some of the people that saw what Jesus did, did believe. And I said earlier, well, of course they would. But let's acknowledge there were people who saw the same thing and decided not to believe. They went and they joined themselves with the Pharisees' unbelief. The priests and Pharisees. Verse 47, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is, it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. And yeah, you, get, you heard that right. The primary religious leader of the Israelites says it's that the solution to the problem is killing Jesus. That's how distorted, how perverse this situation is, how, ungod how ungodly and unbelieving they were. Now, verse 51, John, who is writing this and recording this for us, slips out of the narrative and starts to give us a little commentary. So verses 51 and 52 is him telling us, pay attention to what I just told you. Verse 51, now this he, he, he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together and won the children of God who were scattered abroad. So John wants us to know that even this ungodly man, because of the position that he held, the Lord was using him to prophesy something that was true, that Jesus would die and that his death would be for all of us, and that's why we're here today. Notice this, signs can be doubted. There is, uh, in this passage that we read, what Jesus did in raising Lazarus from the dead is not in dispute. Nobody is disputing the facts. It's not like these people came to the scribes and Pharisees and said, well, they're going to claim that Jesus rose from the dead. No, they came and they told the scribes and Pharisees, look, I don't know what we should do about it, but Jesus just raised somebody from the dead. See, we think if God would just display his power enough, everyone, including us, would believe. That's not the case. Faith is always, always a choice we make. It's not on the basis of how big the sign. It's always a choice we make. 
Let's carry on. Verse 53. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. He didn't do this because he was afraid. He did this because his time was not yet, and he didn't want to uh, engage in a situation that would prematurely lead to the cross. The cross is coming. He knows that, but the time is not yet, and so he withdraws just to kind of allow the temperature to come down a bit. Um, verse 55, and the Passover of the Jews was near. That's one of uh, three Jewish feasts where everyone was required to come to Jerusalem and celebrate. So it says, the Passover of the Jews was near, and many uh, went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Some, pe some people have come to prepare for Passover and get ready for it. They've come a little bit early. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now, so the people are there. Get this, the, the, the scene. The people have come to celebrate Passover. They know every Jewish, who, Jewish person who's able needs to come to Jerusalem for this Passover. They know that Jesus has uh, left the scene. He's, he's uh, kind of removed himself from the fray for a bit. And so they're whispering among each other, do you think he'll come? Do you think Jesus will show up? And I love the fact that, uh, there's one more verse we're going to read in this, in this chapter, but I love the fact that John chapter 11 ends with a cliffhanger. Now, when John uh, wrote his gospel, he didn't have uh, chapter um, separations. Those have been added later. But it is interesting to me, and I love it, that this passage ends with this cliff, cliffhanger. Will Jesus show up? We don't know yet. It won't be until the next chapter, chapter 12, that he find, we find out that he does. It's important to me because my wife and I watch a lot of, I shouldn't probably admit this, but a lot of British murder mysteries. And they always end with a cliffhanger, right? Because they want you to tune in next week. So I love the fact that John 11 ends with a cliffhanger. Will Jesus show up? I'm going to come back to that in a second. Now both the priests and uh, the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, Jesus was, they should report it that they might seize him. So this is the climate. That, you know, if you know anything about where this Jesus is, you need to tell us or you're in trouble. And so the people that are there are kind of whispering behind the scenes, do you think Jesus will show up? And I'm wondering if some of you may be at a cliffhanger in your life. And you're wondering, is Jesus going to show up in this? I've got this decision to make. I've got this situation I don't know how to resolve. Will Jesus show up here? How many of you would be honest with the raising of your hand to say, yeah, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of you. The rest of us, we know we've been, we have been there. We know what that's like. We wonder, is Jesus going to show up in this? Is he going to give us a sign? 
Remember, faith is what's important. Trust God in the midst of that cliffhanger. Trust him, dear one. Believe in him. Even when sign is not coming, even when it's not clear, trust him. Because the relationship that develops out of that depth of, of uh, faith is priceless both to you and to God. But watch for God's confirming signs. We forget to look for that because we're always thinking it's on the front. Signs come on the front end. God does a sign, I believe, and then we move on. I, uh, signs are almost always confirmation of faith that we have placed in God. When you have exercised that faith in God, keep an eye out for his confirming signs. One more story and then I'll, I'll be done. I'm not even sure when I'm supposed to end. I hope I'm not going over. <clears throat> so this happened long before the story I first told you about. Uh, this was in 1978 or 79, something like that. And uh, my, I had, uh, since I was nine years old, felt like the, I don't know why I did that just then. It was probably maybe that high. Anyway, I was about nine years old, and I really felt like, you know what? I think God wants me, this is what God wants me to do. At one point, I thought I, I thought I was supposed to be a garbage truck driver, but about nine years old, I felt like the Lord told me that I was going to be a pastor. I was going to be involved in teaching people from God's word and caring for them as they move along their journey in God. So I didn't know what all that meant at nine years old, but I was locked in. When I got out of high school, I went to Bible college, but I was also a musician. And halfway through Bible college, I, felt I had the opportunity to begin to travel the country with a Christian band and um, you know, record and do all that kind of fun stuff. And so I left Bible college to do that. But after that, when the, the, ministry of the, when the music ministry was winding down, I uh, had moved, we had moved to, or shortly after, we moved to the San Francisco Bay Area to help some friends of ours start a church. And that's how we ended up there. And I took a job at a warehouse, and I think we have a photo of that. So, yeah, this is uh, where I was working, where that dumpster is. There used to be a, a pile, a big stack of pallets, you know, wooden pallets. And on top of that, somebody had erected a little shack, and that was my office. And I helped uh, oversee the transloading of trucks on that little loading dock that was there. That was my job. Now, I don't mean to denigrate the worthiness of that job. I was glad to have it. It was honest work. But I sat in there one day and I was thinking, Lord, you know, I'm, this isn't what I felt like you told me I was supposed to be doing with my life when I was nine years old. Have I gotten so far off course, having left Bible college and pursued the music ministry and all that, have I gotten so far off course that there's no way back? That was the question hanging in my mind. And one day I was uh, on a lunch break in that little shack and I was reading my Bible. And from nine years old on, the verse of scripture that God would often uh, use to confirm my sense of calling to pastoral ministry was from 2 Timothy 2.15 where in the old King James it says study or 
I know that means be diligent. That's, if you read a newer translation, that's what it'll say. Something like, be diligent to show yourself approved to God. The old King James says, study to show yourself approved to God. And I like that better because that's what I felt the Lord was calling me to do. Study to show myself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's what I based my pursuit of pastoral ministry on. That day I'm sitting there in that little shack and I'm reading my Bible on my lunch and I don't, I don't know what, where I was in the Bible uh, reading that day, <clears throat> but I know what came into my mind. It was 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I was so startled because I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't reading there. I hadn't thought about that in quite a while, but I had prayed that prayer I told you about. Lord, have I gotten so far off course there's no way back? And then that verse came into my mind. I was so startled by it. I dropped my Bible on the floor and just sat there for a while contemplating, God, are you you talking to me? Are you showing up in my cliffhanger? I went home that day, and in the mail, there was a brochure from the Bible college I had left years ago. By this time, we have three kids, or two kids, and one's on the way. Um, I'm 400 miles from the Bible college I had attended, and I'm thinking, there's, there's no way I can get back to studying to prepare for pastoral ministry. I'm just too far into my, my life now. But I get this brochure from the Bible college I had left talking about this new program they had called Correspondence. See, this was in the ancient days. Before there was the Internet, nobody had ever heard of anything online. What's that, you know? But they just started this new thing called Correspondence. And for those of you who are younger than me, that, are, you know, that, that means that you, do, you, you correspond. You write stuff back and forth. Anyway, I, I see this, and I, I'm like, God... I don't even know how they found me. I never gave them a forwarding address. I've moved three or four times since the last time I was in Bible college. How did they, how did, are you showing up in my cliffhanger? So I enrolled and I decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I don't know, Lord, but I'm gonna follow the trail. I'm gonna trust you. Signed up, and and I don't know, can I show that uh, dumpster slide again? Nope. So there's the, this dumpster, and I, when I'm there, I, for four days a week, I work like, I don't know, like a dog. It was just crazy busy. But one day a week, uh, I ne- you didn't have to do anything. There was no work to do, but I had to be there. So I, I actually did all my coursework in that little shack and got paid for it. Two years later... Sue and I are, she comes to pick me up on a Friday because Monday I'm going to start my first position, first job as a pastor in a church. So she picks me up, last day of work here at this warehouse facility. We're driving out of the main gate and there's a street that ends at that, uh, it dead ends in that parking lot. And so there's a pole with a street sign on it, as you would imagine trust me for some reason even though I knew where I worked I got there every day I'd never thought this through 
until this moment. We're pulling out of the parking lot. I think some of you saw the sign a minute ago. But we were pulling out of that parking lot, and I looked up, and I saw the street sign, and that's what I saw. Seminary Avenue. And that little shack on that pile of wood pallets became my seminary. God answered my prayer, and Jesus did show up in my cliffhanger. And he will in yours, too. But dear one, it's not about the sign that you're looking for. It's about the faith you get to exercise in the midst of that circumstance. I want to pray for you. These guys are going to lead us in some worship. But let me uh, just pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for each of these dear ones that you, you, you love. And I thank you, Lord, that it is your intention to have deep relationship with us. And that that relationship building requires our stepping into the uncomfortable sometimes place of faith. I pray that any for whom any, this is true, that today they're in a cliffhanger and they're not sure if you're going to show up. But your word is clear. You will show up. And I pray, God, that you will grant them this courage to believe in the midst of the uncertainty. And then, Lord, keep, cause them to look for the ways that you're going to confirm their faith with signs and wonders. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.